Hi, and welcome back to day three of Global Supply Chain Week here at FreightWaves. My name is Kevin Hill. I'm the executive publisher at FreightWaves, and I'm joined by a very special guest to talk about the financial markets and stocks and kind of not only what CPG and retail companies are doing, but transportation and logistics. It is none other than Steph Holm, uh, the founder and CEO of Westbrow Capital, which is here in Chattanooga. It's a uh, it's a hedge fund, and Seth is also a former alumni of the research division here at FreightWaves. We worked together for a couple of years. Welcome to uh, Global Supply Chain Week, Seth. Thanks, Kevin. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So before we get started, what areas are you focused? What, your hedge fund, Westboro Capital, what are the, the focus areas? So we're focused on three sectors primarily, uh, transportation, uh, consumer and TMT, which is uh, known as tech, media, telecom, but it really includes, you know, internet stocks, social media stocks, all those kinds of things. But um, I would say our focus, given the uniqueness, uh, our long-term vision is basically to uh, be early investors in all the cool freight tech and logistics tech companies once they go public. Before we get into the craziness of January uh, of the stock market, we just went through uh, the, the, this month or, or last month. What about 2021? What were some of the the, the high level takeaways that 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 you got from watching the market and, and watching the stocks that you follow? Yeah, I mean, 2021 was a great year for the stock market. It was up. Uh, I don't remember exactly, but the S and P 500 was up like 25 percent or thereabouts, and that was following on uh, for, from a great year in 2020. And um, one guy that I always watch, Dan Niles on CNBC, is if you kind of think about it, Kevin you get a global pandemic and the stock market's up 50% in two years. It doesn't make a lot of sense. And that uh, the reason for that is a lot of that fiscal and monetary stimulus that the Federal Reserve really stepped in. But uh, what sticks out to me about 2021 was the easy money was there to be made and people made it. And it seems like that's getting paid back in January. Now, on the transportation front, it's just more of the same. Everything seems to be pretty good. I, you know, I still follow all the freight waves. It's like spot rates are around $4 a mile. Uh, you know, everybody's been predicting those would top out for a long time or at least, you know, plateau. Um, and uh, so far, so good on the earnings calls. There's been a few companies report. Uh, I've listened to PACAR and Canadian Pacific and UPS, and uh, they've all been really, really strong reports so far. So transportation is kind of a uh, even though the stocks didn't do so well in January, the businesses themselves are still humming along, doing really well. So you wrote a paper a couple of years ago here at FreightWaves uh, talking about trucking stocks trade on the spot market. Did that hold true in 2021? Absolutely, yeah. And, um, you know, one thing that's interesting, though, is uh, truckload is actually probably my least favorite sub-industry. Of, uh, one thing you'd notice if you look at a lot of the stocks, like uh, Knight Swift, for example, it trades at uh, about 12 times earnings. And uh, what that, even though they just put up a great quarter, uh, and I haven't gone through that one in detail yet because I don't own it, but um, uh, I know it was a really strong quarter. And, uh, you know, 12 times earnings, that suggests that uh, the market participants are, are, are looking for a peaking of those earnings at some point, especially because Knight Swift has made several LTL acquisitions that you guys have covered closely. And if you look at the blue chips and LTL, the, the, the SIAs and the old Dominions of the world, those traded 40 times earnings. So, uh, a lot of I'm, I'm actually pretty positive on on some of those stocks, but um, yeah. And that, that's that's kind of one of those arbitrage plays, right? You have LTL tr- companies trading at a superior multiple than full truckload carriers. You buy L- LTL carrier 
or a couple, and you can raise your your multiple. Is that something that you you you're seeing more of in, in the truckload space? I think I think it's a, both a financial engineering play, the way you outlined it there. Uh, if the market's going to reward those types of businesses with a higher multiple, you know, you always want to allocate capital uh, the best you can for your shareholders. But I think it's also maybe to diversify their business a little bit. Um, you know, like a lot of the large enterprise truckload carriers have a brokerage division in there, uh, as you well know, that helps, you know, when when freight gets soft, they can help find loads for their, you know, and keep their asset utilization high. There's some diversification benefits. And I've, you've seen that with C.H. Robinson, for example, where they, you know, 70% of their business has been NAST, uh, the North American Surface Transportation, where they're booking loads, right? And they're getting hurt by the rising spot prices, but they have, uh, you know, for, uh, one of the world's largest forwarding divisions. And uh, their forwarding division, as you well know, uh, you guys cover it all day, every day about the uh, 100 ships backed up and uh, they're just printing money right now in that division. So what do you think? Uh, you look back at 2021 um, and, and then looking into the, the future into 2022, uh, after what we saw in the markets in, in January, uh, what subsectors of transportation and logistics you mentioned, you know, LTL for full truckload, you have brokerage, you have forwarding, you have the ocean carriers themselves, uh, the rail uh, railroads. Who's in the, the best position to to have an outstanding 2022? It's a great question. And I, I think a lot about that, um, you know, and, and how I'm positioning my own portfolio. I go through all those thoughts and I have. And and, and I, I think I, I, I threw out, I, I, I forgot inventory, warehousing, the software, the, the tech side of all of those solutions as well. Okay. Yeah, well, I'll get into that too. Um, I would say, you know, if we're going to just do a quick rank order, uh, I would say, you know, Truckload to me is more mid to late cycle. And so you're likely to only make your money from earnings growth there because the multiples are kind of capped. Everybody's waiting for the market to roll over. So that's not my, I'm not shorted in any, it's too strong to short, but, uh, you know, you, you tend to have that cyclical effect where you, uh, investors just aren't going to award you with a, uh, a peak multiple on earnings when spot rates are at $4 because they don't believe they can last. Um, and so that's sort of my same feeling on ocean shipping. If you look at some of the ocean shipping stocks, I mean, I'm just uh, I'm just amazed at, uh, you know, the, the rates that people are paying to move, uh, you know, uh, uh, TEUs across, you know, um, China to the West Coast, et cetera. So those are my probably two least favorite sectors. Um, I don't know if it's contrarian or not, because I still don't I don't talk to you guys as much, but I, I kind of like the setup for freight brokerage in uh, 2022. And here's why, because they, they tend to be more mid to late cycle stocks. And if you finally do see that $4 spot rate come in a little bit, uh, given and, the, and then the freight backdrop stays strong, which it's likely to do because you still got 100 ships at port and you've got 100% warehouse utilization on the West Coast, all that freight. And then inventories are low at your average retailer. So I think, you know, the, the overall demand backdrop for freight, if it's just sort of stays strong, but spot rates come in a lot, I think that would favor the brokers. Um, and, and the other sector that I really like uh, is parcels. Uh, you saw this morning, uh, uh, while we're recording this on, on February 1st, UPS put up great numbers. And I think last I checked, the stocks were up between 5 and 10%. And, the re- and they did that, uh, reading an article in Freightways, I, I believe their uh, package volumes in Q4, which is the highest season, were actually marginally negative. 
but they passed through 12% price increases uh, because they've really turned their focus to small and medium-sized businesses, and they put up their best operating margin since 2013. So I I would tend to favor the brokerage stocks and the partial stocks and then the rails. The, the rails are the third area. Um, I think because of congestion and some other things and truckload being so strong and intermodal being heavily congested, you've had negative rail volumes for the better part of two years. And as some of these supply chain uh, uh, kinks kind of finally uh, begin to loosen a little bit, I think that'll favor uh, rail volumes uh, and they'll they'll return to some uh, leverage on their operating ratios. And this is all on the basis of freight and demand or freight volumes staying strong. and. You know, Anthony Smith and I talk about it all the time, Zach Strickland, we used to talk about it all the time, is that we went through the cycle in, since the, the lockdown, since, say, July of 2020, of a growth in retail sales that will usually take about six, five to six years to, to, to replicate that growth. We did in about a year, and we're still going strong. And that has a lot to tie in to the industry, you know, um, both retail, CPG, and then the logistics that power it, all these tangible goods that people are buying. Do you see, you talked about stimulus earlier, do you see a tempering of demand going forward? And do you think that could be an inflection point sometime in 2022? The way I would phrase that, I mean, it's a great question. And I, I literally think about these questions you know, all the time. And um, I don't think anyone has an obvious answer. You've got, you've got kind of a couple of things working, right? Clearly, the stimulus-fueled comparisons from last year are just a tough comparison, just like the, you know, eventually $4 spot rates. And uh, I think I heard on freight waves close to $3 contract rate uh, in y'all's uh, sonar. I mean, it, that's going to turn into a very tough comparison at some point. So uh, on the other hand, you know, if you look at COVID, um, the only balance sheet that that took any uh, beating was the government's, right? And they really shaped up the consumer's balance sheet. And uh, I have started to see some, you know, early red flags on some of like the consumer credit metrics. If you follow some of the fintech stocks and some of the credit card companies, they're starting and and um, auto loans and that sort of thing. They're starting to see subprime uh, credit deteriorate a little bit, and so that could be a warning side. But my overall gist is. Yeah, you may be. Uh, uh, in other words, I think you're going to have trouble growing at the same rate that you grew in 2021. But that doesn't mean there's terrible things to come and it's going to crash or anything like that. I just think you're going to kind of muddle along uh, at flattish to slightly you know, positive or negative numbers. That's my guess. Yeah. So <clears throat> a good case study on this and this ramp up in demand right during the pandemic and then a faltering of supply or a faltering of demand, I'm sorry, is Peloton. Right. Peloton was was they're sending bikes and treadmills via air cargo over just to meet this demand for 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 months. And now, 12 months later, 18 months later, uh, demand has faltered so much that they're shutting down some production. Do you do you think this is a, a good case study or a precursor of what entire industries may face? Maybe not on the scale of that, um, but the, this oversupply over inventories, over CapEx spending to create capacity that might hit the market or, or hit, the in, hit, hit you know, full production about the time when demand falters, maybe shifts back over more towards services, more to that traditional norm. 
Right. Another good question. I mean, I, I think when I was still at, we've been talking about this question for about two years. Uh, you know, when when do you get the because traditionally it was about uh, about sixty percent services and forty percent goods, I believe, and then it, it got to about fifty fifty there at the peak of uh, which is ten percent of a twenty one trillion dollar U.S. economy. That's a big incremental shift. You right, know what? But that creates bottlenecks everywhere. Correct. And uh, it's not like, and as we well know, you can't just go out and add uh, thousands and thousands of truck drivers because uh, they're not, they're not there, especially, you know, the, the overall economy, um, everybody, the, wage, the wage inflation is out mm-hmm. of control. I mean, you could, if you can't get a job right now, you're probably not trying. Um, and so, um, but back to your question there on Peloton, uh, you know, it's interesting. Peloton's not the, there's been many stocks like that. Even, even the king himself, Amazon has been a, a very, they've had a really rough go of it uh, lately because uh, Netflix, you saw Netflix fell 20% the other day uh, and on their earnings call that disappointed because they said that, you know, they, they added like something like 20 million subscribers in the U S in the first quarter of 2020. And they're still working through that. And now they can't add subscribers. So it's not just physical goods companies like Pelican. It's it's e-commerce like Amazon. It's Netflix. There's nowhere to hide. There's been many other companies like that. But I, I think the Peloton case study is unique in that it's worse for the people who manufacture goods. And here's why. Because, uh, you know, if you have to wind down a software company, if you experience a brief spike in demand, it's just a naturally easier transition. Whereas for a Peloton, when you get flooded with orders, uh, you know, they had to go out and, you know, buy new factories, add thousands and thousands of employees. They ramped up their marketing budget. They hired ad agencies, uh, you know, started designing new models. They got into apparel uh, and footwear and all sorts of other things. And now they've hired, uh, now their stock's down by 80% and they've hired McKinsey to come in and clean all this up and try to fix things. So it's it's almost a situation where Pel- for a company like Peloton, uh, if I were the CEO, I would just be exhausted and I would have almost wished that, uh, you know, given the stock had gone from 20 to 115 back to 20, you almost ask yourself, you know, would would, it, would they have just been better off without COVID? Because, um, you know, they basically, they may have pulled forward something like, and you've, you've seen this with Zoom, you know, we're doing a Zoom here. Zoom may arguably may have pulled forward five to 10 years of demand and, and you know, maybe Peloton did too. I definitely agree with that. I, I think e-commerce pulled together that that trend. And you see that in the final mile space, the LTL space. You see that with, the, you know, as you said, the, the, the parcel de- deliveries. Is that that growth in e-commerce the uh, de- de- demand? Yeah. And, you know, what's one thing that's interesting is to your, to your question, I, I do think uh, us as transportation people and investors, I think we'll be early to see some of the uh, some of the slowdown when it comes, especially, you know, the further upstream you go to the ocean, uh, when that starts to loosen up and uh, and then, you know, some of the spot rates come in and uh, I guess we'll have our answer. But um, I at the same time, I don't think, uh, you know, as far as I think the stock market itself kind of experiencing a pretty deep correction in January. I don't think there's going to be a material effect on the economy from uh, 200 basis points of rate hikes from zero. So that doesn't so much worry me about transportation and transportation. I mean, heck, I remember people have been calling for a topping of it for at least, I don't know, at least a year. Um, And so who knows? Well, I I don't think there's going to be a top or a decline as long as consumer demand is so high for, for tangible goods. 
and semiconductors, right? We were talking about Intel before we uh, turned on the, the recorder here and really just, just using that as like a base case of the semiconductor shortage and what's being done to alleviate that, it, it's going to be tough to, um, to, to really ramp up capacity or, or truck capacity, certainly. You know, you have the driver problem and then you have, you know, the, the new truck problem all combined and, and both face serious headwinds. Absolutely. And I mean, you're seeing, uh, you're seeing that filter across all different industries. Like, for example, when you can, don't have semiconductors, you can't make automobiles, which then hurts the rail car, car load, auto car load volumes and the supply, auto supply volumes. Um, and then also, um, you know, obviously, uh, you know, you can't get new equipment for trucks. And, I, and so I was listening to a Freight Waves podcast actually yesterday, and I heard something that I, that I wasn't aware of because I haven't been checking sonar charts every day, but uh, I believe used truck prices, three-year used truck prices are around $120,000, which just blew my mind. Um, because 100% year over yeah. year. 100% that doubled in price over the last uh, right and, and so and so it keeps on going and I'm, I'm really positive on on a company called Packar uh, which is uh, you know makes is a leading supplier of trucks in the US and, and Europe and um, they 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 don't have enough semiconductors to make the trucks right so you don't have enough drivers and you don't have enough trucks um, so I think it'll and and so then everybody's going to the used market and paying new truck prices for used trucks how all this works out I don't know and then you've got all these geopolitical implications where uh, in the COVID aftermath and uh, all the you know the the knock on effects from this semiconductor shortage just really caused a lot of businesses pain and and so a lot of Companies and countries are focused on, you know, relocating the supply chains for things like semiconductors and other things uh, closer to home, so they're easy to get. You know. Yes, certainly. We we're saying the the how much uh, how much does of the semiconductor market does Taiwan manufacture? Yeah, um, and uh, my uh, business partner is a longtime tech expert, so uh, he he can call me out for this if I'm wrong. Uh, but I, I believe Taiwan Semiconductor is the name of the company. And I think they manufacture something like 80% of the world's semiconductors. And obviously, where, where that comes into play is the, the geopolitical relations between China and Taiwan kind of creates a tenuous and uncertain situation uh, right there, which is why one reason why we're pretty positive on Intel, along with uh, you know some of the things we talked about earlier, we are always looking to invest in the future of supply chain, mobility, and, and logistics. And uh, Intel happens to own Mobileye, which is, uh, you know, one of the uh, leading autonomous driving solutions out there within them as well. Yeah. Uh, so before we go, before we end the, the conversation, I, I'm not going to ask you your, your predictions or your outlook for 2022. I'm not going to put you in that box. What are one or two of the key data points that, that you're keeping an eye on uh, as a metric for a market turn? I think we've already seen the market turn. I'm actually, uh, you know, I was positioned for when I think the warning sign for the market was in early December when <clears throat> Jerome Powell, the president of the Federal Reserve, uh, we got that seven, I believe is that 7% CPI inflation print and which just tied his hands. And he basically had to announce an accelerated tapering and four rate hikes and the market threw its hands up and um, all of a sudden, overnight, you had everyone from the retail investor to the institutional investor in long duration assets. And by that, I mean, you know, tech stocks with growth way, way out in the future, losing all the money today. But in a discounted cash flow analysis, this company, you know, 
company has very little revenue, but it's worth billions and billions of dollars because interest rates are so low. The market had to make a very rapid adjustment, surprise adjustment there, which is why you saw the NASDAQ drop about 20% um, uh, peak to trough in the last few weeks. Um, so I, I think in, in this case, again, you know, Kevin, interest rates were 15, 20 percent. Uh, uh, it would have been before I was born, but in the in the very early 80s. Um, and and now, you know, everybody, we can't deal with 2 percent, uh, you know, Fed funds rate, which which is just sort of crazy. And you've got and you've got the economy on life support monetary policy, you know, uh, going on. What is it? 13 years now after the financial crisis. And, you know, and, and, and employment, uh, as you guys know, I mean, wage inflation is out of control. It's a. Uh, and, and if you've been to the grocery store, I mean, I know the, the price that all of us are paying for everything. I've known, I've noticed it going up dramatically. So look, I think we're going to be fine. Um, I think as far, so I, I'm, I'm sort of actually optimistic on the market now that it's had its 10 or 20% correction. You've kind of, you've gotten rid of a lot of the animal spirits as far as the memes and the SPACs and the, uh, you know, all these crazy stocks that have lost, you know, they went up 10,000%, but they've all lost 70 or 80% of their value. So look, I mean, I think uh, the key that would really create a rally is if we see inflation kind of moderate unexpectedly and the Fed does can kind of back away from such aggressive interest rate hikes. Do, do you think if the, the market keeps going down, and I, whether it's 5% or 10%, in a short duration, you know, volatility increases, do you think that the Fed backs off of the, the interest rate increases? That's kind of been the historical norm, right? That they announce increases, the market sells off, and they back off a little bit. Right. I, but here's what I think is different this time. And those are those are the most dangerous words in finance, as you know. But uh, so uh, I think going off of, uh, I listen to a lot of podcasts, including a lot of FreightWaves podcasts, but a lot of investing podcasts. And I think uh, 45% of the American public does not own stocks. Okay, even even today with Robinhood signing up 25 million accounts in 18 months or whatever it is. And so Main Street is experiencing violent inflation in their, you know, their gas prices, their grocery prices, their rent and everything else. And I mean, I shoot, I'm in pain uh, with with three kids. You have prices for everything that you buy going up by 15 percent. I mean, you really start to feel it, especially if you're on a fixed budget. So given those facts, I mean, I think what's different this time, in other words, is we didn't have this kind of inflation. Every time you had that Fed put where they would step in the market and, and you know, ease the monetary policy, but to prevent a stock price and, you know, that, what, that cascading wealth effect, negative wealth effect. This time, I don't think that they have that ace up their sleeve because they've got to look out for the re- us regular Americans and our cost of living. So I, I, think, I think you're right. And we will see. Only time will tell. It's just 12 short months, or actually not even 12 now. We're already almost two months into the year, so 10, 10 short months. But thank you for joining us today on uh, day three of the, the Global Supply Chain Week. Happy to do it. Thanks for having me. So stay tuned for more exciting action here on day three.